Today I want to continue our series, How to Stand Firm. Can you say that with me, How to Stand Firm? Come on, that was half of you. The, the rest of you are talking. How to Stand Firm. You ready? How to Stand how to stand firm. You see, because here's the dilemma. We've been giving this to you every week, and I want you to see this again. The dilemma is this. Can we engage in this culture while still maintaining, holding on to our faith? Can I live in my school? Can I work in my workplace? Can I be in my neighborhood? Is it possible for me on social media to be able to stand and not lose my way? Not lose my salvation, but maintain my testimony, my witness, my faith to God. And the challenge we gave you last week was this. We're not only going to stand firm, but we're going to love well. Because that's what God has called us to do, to reach out, to touch other people. I pray by now you've realized it's possible. That it's possible. It's not a dilemma. It's possible for every one of us to do that. And it's essential for our lives that we do not only for us, but for other people around us. Here's the challenge I really felt led to give to you today. You ready? The challenge is this. What influence are you having on other people? What influence are you having? Some of you right now have a powerful influence at your work. People come to you for problems. You haven't asked for it, but people just, you're a magnet. People have come to you. You've got an influence. You've got a voice in your office. Some of you on social media, you've got twice as many likes. You've got twice as many followers as everyone else. People just flock to you. There's something about you that draws them. In the business world, as a teacher, whatever, there's an influence that you have. And I believe every one of us has an influence over people. Even if it's just one or two, we have an influence over people. So my challenge is this. What are you doing with that influence? What are you doing? Have you had someone come to church in your world? Come on, I'm challenging you today. Have you used your influence? Well, I just don't want to get too political. I don't want to... Listen, hell is real and heaven needs to be where we're taking people. We need to realize there's a great urgency in this, what's happening around us. And we need to use our influence. Social media is a great influence that we can use. Are we using that? Because here's the goal. Here's the goal of Christ inside of me. First and foremost, to save me. But then the goal then is this, that he would use me to bring other people to Christ. And that's the influence that God has. You you can sit back and you can admire all your awards on the wall and you can say, wow, that's good, I've done this. But I'm telling you right now, the Bible said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but yet loses his soul? And I think I can say it this way without contradicting the word of God. What does it profit a man to have all the accolades of the world? But yet people around him are still lost. And he's not using his influence to touch other people for Christ. My challenge this week is use your influence to touch people for Christ. Come on, I said use your influence to move them down the scale. Your influence is for you to be used for a purpose. So today I want to talk about what are you doing with your life? That's the title of our message today. What are you doing with your life? What are we doing with our days? Because numbered days is really all we have. Someone once said this when they went to a graveyard and they looked at a gravestone. And they saw the date of birth and then the date of death. And they thought, how amazing that someone's sum total of their life is summed up with a dash. The day they were born, the day they died, and just a dash. 
Isn't that a picture of our lives when we look in the face of eternity? It can feel like 45 years of this earth is a long time. It can feel like 25, whatever. But in the face of reality, it's such a short moment. And what are we doing with that moment? You see, here's what I love about the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel not only gives us the stories of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It doesn't just tell us about the fiery furnace. It doesn't just tell us about the lion's den, about the big statues. It doesn't tell us just about dreams. You see, the book of Daniel is also a book of prophecy. So what does that mean, Pastor? It paints a picture prophetically of the future. Daniel prophesies by God's instruction of what the future and what would happen. I want to tell you right now, we're living in the future of his prophecy. Come on now, you you need to realize that. We're living in the end days that Daniel talked about in his prophecies. We're living in the last moments. So what does that tell you? The book of Daniel is not just a warning as we look back at their lives, but it's also a warning as we look at our life right now. It's, a, and it's there to inform us, to encourage us to live a godly life, I really believe, in the ungodly culture that we are. It's literally, I believe, the book of Daniel, a manual for living today that can help us prophetically, as Daniel saw this centuries and centuries ago. Daniel prophesied this for your life today. So where have we gone during this study? We first talked about the identity crisis. Satan wants to change your name. He wants to steal your identity that you're finding yourself doing, being something that you know God didn't create you to be. You've got to take your identity back. We then went on to see that the world wants to put us in a box. It wants us to conform. It wants us to be like that. But we don't have to compromise. Because we're going to go through tests, but tests are not to bring us down, but they are opportunities of God Remember to bring growth and development. God never wastes a pain as long as we will give those pains to him. Because God can take those circumstances and turn them around for great gain and blessing. We talked about what will we worship? What are we worshiping today? Because we all worship something or someone. And we discovered that proper order matters because God wants to be first. He doesn't mind we have those other things. He doesn't mind we enjoy those other things. But he wants to be first and foremost. He needs to be our focal point of worship. We are created as instruments, remember, of worship unto God. And if you've missed this, catch up. Last week we talked about killing pride. Come on, say with me, killing pride. pride. Come on, who's been killing some pride this week? Been recognizing some things. Why? Because pride is that gateway sin that offers an open doorway for the enemy to drop in and just tell us how great we are and how we don't really need God. Pride is the driving force of all sin and ungodliness that we face in our lives. But how do we counteract that pride? Remember, we gave you three I wills. I will exalt God. I will acknowledge God. Thank you. Someone paid attention. And I will humble myself. I will exalt God. I will acknowledge God. And I will humble myself. And today I want to deal with deceptions and distractions. What are you doing with your life? Turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 5. We're going to read a few passages today. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast. Belshazzar is King Nebuchadnezzar's son. 
He made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and they drank wine in the presence of the thousands. And while they tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem. Picture this. When they conquered Jerusalem, they took all the golden articles out of the temple of God. And now they are bringing something that is sacred to be used before God into their lives to party with, to fill with wine. Really what they're saying is, in your face, God. That's really what they're saying. We're going to show who's really in control here. Read on. It says um, that the kings and the lords and his wives and the concubines might drink from them. Verse 3, then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and the lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. Verse 4, they drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster on the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosed and his knees began to knock against each other. Man, he, he's, he's afraid right now is what it's saying. He's scared right now. Come on now. Verse 6. The king cried out aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spoke, saying to all these wise men of Bethlehem, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck. And he shall be the third in rule of the kingdom. A hand appears and writes on a wall. The Bible's pretty cool. You know that? I mean, that's pretty cool. That's like stuff you see in movies. Come on, that was in the Bible. They're just having a good time. They're eating and drinking. Life is great. And all of a sudden, this big hand appears. Just no arm, just a hand. And then the finger begins to write on the wall. Wow. He's freaked out. Calls all his astrologers, everyone together. What's the answer? I'm sure there was a lot of suggestions and opinions, but there was no answers. You see, the world has a lot of suggestions and opinions, but it doesn't hold the answer for your life. But notice this. The queen remembered Daniel, who had served Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar, faithfully. So read on what it says, Daniel 5.13. Then Daniel was brought before the king. Understand this, Daniel is now in his late 80s. A lot of people believe he was about 88 at this time, almost 90 years old. Was taken into captivity as an early teenager. He's been in captivity for over 70 years, faithfully still serving God. And the king spoke to Daniel and said, Are you that Daniel? who was one of the captives from Judah, who my father the king brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you. That's my prayer that people at your work, at your college would say, oh, so that's you, I've heard of you. I've heard of you, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Come on, a lot of people have heard about us for the wrong reasons. I said a lot of people know about us for the wrong reasons. We're turning this thing around. We want people to hear about us because of the good things that God is doing in our lives. And the light and understanding and the excellence of wisdom that are in you. It's like he's glowing. I heard about the light that's in you. You just illuminate a room. You step in and wow, something happens. You're contagious, Daniel. 
Now the wise men, the astrologers, have brought in before me, and they could not read this writing. They cannot make known to me its interpretation. And they could not interpret this thing. I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the interpretation, you shall be clothed with a purple robe, have a chain of gold put around your neck, and you shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Wow. Influence. See the influence that Daniel not only had, but what was still going to be given to him. You interpret this. You're going to be third in the kingdom. Daniel goes on to tell him, like father, like son. What do we mean by that? He began to identify the pride that was in Belshazzar's heart, just like what was in his father's. You would have thought that young man would have learned seeing his dad for seven years as a wild, insane man because of the pride in his heart. But it's amazing. So often we would think that we would learn. But that's what pride does. We think, well, that's not me. That's, I'm better than them. You see, pride makes us think that we're not, that we will not fall victim to those things. Read on Daniel 5, 23, 24. You have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, says Daniel, speaking to Belshazzar. You have brought in the vessels of his house, God, capital H, the God that I serve. You have brought in the vessels from his house and you and the lords, your wives, your concubines, you have drunk wine from them and while drinking, you have given praise to the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see which do not hear and which do not know. In other words, he said, they're just a statue. They don't see, they don't hear, and they don't know. And God and the Lord God who holds your breath in his hands and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Wow, what an incredible picture. People want to worship statues. They don't see, they don't hear, they don't know. But Daniel says, you would dare to defile the God who holds your breath in his hands, that you owe your ways to him. Then the finger of the hand was sent from God. And this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written, Meany, Meany, Tekel, Upharsens. What they tell us is this was not a language of the day, because if it was, one of the astrologers, one of the wise men would have known or recognized and been able to read it. This was God's language. This was God's words. He was penning a new language that no one else, save Daniel, could know. And this is the interpretation, Daniel says in verse 26. Meany says, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. In other words, if you're taking notes today and you can follow on you version, it's on there. Your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. Look at this scripture from Luke 12, 19. Jesus teaches about a rich man. This is a rich man. He has a dilemma. He, he has so much goods and he doesn't have enough barns. So what does he do? The Bible says he tears down his old and he builds massive big barns. And now he's sitting back and looking and enjoying everything that he has. And here's what he's saying. You see, Jesus talked a lot in parables. He used stories that people could relate to that had a heavenly meaning. And it says, I will say to my soul, this is the man speaking. Soul, you have goods laid up for many years. Take your ease Eat and drink 
and be merry. In other words, what that man is saying is this. I've got all the time in the world. I've got what I need to provide for me. I've got all the time in the world so I can just sit back, hit cruise control, and just go through life. The biggest lie that the enemy tells every one of us is this. There's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. If you would read in God's Word, God never promises us tomorrow. He promises where our tomorrow can be. But He doesn't promise us our tomorrow, but He promises us our today. Today. Hebrews 9, 27, And as it is appointed for men to die once, then after that, the judgment. How easily we can waste our life. And today we need to realize that our days are numbered, so therefore we must make them count. What does human nature say? Human nature says as long as there's food in the pantry, it's hard to imagine being hungry. Human nature tells us as long as you've got some money in your account, it's hard to ever feel that you maybe won't have enough. But when you're down to your last cracker, and when you're down to your last dollar, suddenly those things become so much more precious to us. So how can we avoid wasting our days? We're going to give you some things today, and it's a lot of notes. Again, version has those. You can log on and you can find it there. But I want to give you some truths today that I believe will really help your life. Really just practical things that you can do. You ready? So how can we avoid wasting our days? Three things. Number one, live every day with a sense of purpose and urgency. Now in that, I didn't say live in fear. A lot of people are living in fear every day. Well, the Lord's going to come. What's going to happen? I didn't say that. We've got to live with purpose and urgency, not fear. We're not afraid, but we're realizing what every day may be my last one. Am I making it count? So here's the question I want to ask you. What would you change if you were told you only had 30 days to live? What would you stop doing and what would you start doing? You see, living with a purpose and urgency means we need to live our life like that. Because whether we feel that we're invincible and we're young and we've got all the time in the world, the Bible tells us our days are numbered. Number two, we've got to put first things first. That speaks of priorities. Having the right priorities. Here's the question for you. What are you spending your time on? How are you spending your time every day? Stop the constant push and pull for more. One of the best things that you can learn is this, to say no. Come on, say that with me, no. No, no, no. And for many of us, it's easier to say no to other people than it is to say no to ourselves. We've got to learn to say no to ourselves as well as to other people. Psalms 90 verse 12 from the Message Bible says, Oh, teach us to live well. Teach us to live wisely and well. The New King James says, Teach us to number our days. Teach us to live well. My days are numbered. Teach me to live wisely. Teach me to live well. What do we know? Look at this statement. Whatever we put first becomes the organizing principle for all other parts of our life. Remember when you were at school and you were asked to write an essay or a paper? What would the teacher ask for before the paper? An outline. 
What would you do for the outline? You would maybe give four or five points, however many they required, and you would say, okay, I'm going to go here, then I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go here and go here. Why? Because when you sat down to write, you had something to guide you. Your priorities are going to be the organizing principle for what follows in your life. Matthew 6, 31 and 33. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So what is he saying? They're not wrong. It's not wrong to worry about what, or, or, or like to have food and to be clothed and to have those things. That's not wrong to have. But we've got to make sure it's in the right order because order matters. Say with me, order matters. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his ways, his righteousness. Then what? The promise is all these things. All these things, what? What you eat, what you drink, what you wear. The things you stress out about, what happens? God says, they'll all fall into place if you what? Put me first in your life. God has to be first. There's a lot of gods in your life. That The real God now is second, third, fourth, fifth, even if he gets in the scale. And I'm telling you right now, food, clothing, what you eat, those things will never produce a relationship with God in your life. But a relationship with God in your life promises to give you those things. Which one would you rather have? I'm telling you which one I would rather have. God first. I'm going to put first things first in my life. We've got to watch even as Christians because I think we can get really busy doing a lot of good stuff for the wrong reasons. Here's a challenge for you, ready? We need to live out of the overflow of our relationship with God. Most of us are living out of the dregs of what we couldn't even call a relationship. Our lives need to be living out of the overflow. Remember, God says, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that you will not be able. That's not waste, that's overflow. That's what God wants to produce in your life. Daily, the Bible says, He loads us with His benefits. Meaning what? Gives us more than we can handle because there's an overflow. You and I need to be living out of the overflow of a relationship with God because we've got to put Him first in our lives. Let me show you this. Here's a picture of a lot of our lives. A lot of our lives are just filled with a lot of really meaningless stuff. So when it comes to the important things of our life, like our relationship with God, we, we, we try to what? We, we, we try to force it in. But there's not room. So, so we kind of push God to the side a little bit. And then we've got our, our, our next responsibility is our relationship with our spouse if we're married. And we try to push that in. And then we've got our relationship with our kids. And then we've got work. Well, what's happening? Our, our life is just like messed up. Because you see, the order of our life really matters. Because we try to fit the important things into things that are not important. We, we fill our lives with things, as we're going to discover in a few moments, that a hundred years from now, they ain't going to matter for nothing. 
So we fill our lives with so many things that when the important things are to be placed in, we don't have room. But notice this, if we put God in first, if we put the relationship with our spouse and our children, if we put our career and work in its proper understanding, and then our relationships and health and everything, then guess what? There's room for those other things, maybe, if they're needed in our lives. But notice what's happened. First things first. Let me say this again. Order matters. You set your priorities and the rest will have to fit around them. And if they don't, sorry, no. Number three, live with a heavenly perspective. A lot of the problem that we have today is we're living in earth, on earth, and God has tried, this is one of his biggest struggles that he has, he wants us to think heavenly. Because we see the problems and the circumstances and the struggles that we have here now, and we get angry at God, frustrated, question God. Why? Because we've got an earthly perspective. We want everything to fall in place here. We want everything to be perfect. We want everything because we prayed for that. But what we've got to realize is God doesn't promise that everything's going to fall perfectly into place. In fact, when people came to Jesus with their problems and their concerns, you know where Jesus pointed them? He talked about heaven. Seriously, read it in his word. Jesus talked about heaven. When people came to him with their problems, look what he said in John 14, 1 and 2. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house. Come on, that's heaven. There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And it goes on to say, and where I am, there you will be also. You see, the answer is heaven. We try to figure it all out here and now. It's not happening. I don't have every answer for every problem. That's why I've got to live with a heavenly perspective. I've got to keep my eyes on the prize. I've got to realize that weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in my morning. I may not understand it all, but I've got to have a heavenly perspective to say this is not the end. That's why Paul says words like this, Philippians 1, 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Wow, that's the thought that we've got. to. If I'm going to live, then I can live in Christ. But if I'm going to die, praise God, no more weeping, sorrow, pain, anguish. Wow, it's better as a child of God. It's great. We've got to live with a heavenly perspective. Why? Because God's plan has always been a rescue mission to bring us back to heaven. That's why Jesus came. He was on a rescue mission to bring us back to heaven. And the Bible tells us that's what we've got to set our mind on. Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on the things that are above and not the things that are on this earth. That doesn't mean we're weird and crazy. That just means we look at these situations and say, I may not figure them all out, but thank you, God, you've got my future in your hands. And God, I'm trusting you. I'm looking for a great tomorrow. And if it's not here and now, praise God, take me home because I know there it's going to be streets of gold and I'm going to be rejoicing. You see, eternity is closer than we think. Our days are numbered. We say things like one day I'll be married and then maybe I'll be happy. We say one day maybe I'll get out of debt and then I'll be able to pay my tithes. We say, well, one day when the kids are grown, we can work on our relationship and hopefully our marriage will be what it needs to be. 
One day, one day, one day. You know, one day is just in fairy tales. One day my prince will come. Come on, that's, that's fairy tales. Living a dream that one day. Why? Because one day has to be today. Your one day is not waiting. Your one day is preparing for your future by getting your house in order and living how you should today. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 11. Today is the day of salvation. Today is your day. Today is your day. Meanie, meanie, your days are Numbered. And it's pretty interesting. I think he says it twice. You need to catch this. It's twice. Back to the story, Daniel 5, 27. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and you have been found wanting. Not only are your days numbered, Belshazzar, but you are now responsible for how you are handling them. Here's a question for you. Ready? If your life was weighed today, what would the scales say? We're not talking about overweight. (laughs) Whoop, 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 whoop. Get off, get off, get off. What would be the balance of your priorities? What would be the balance of your big rocks? What have you done with your big rocks? Are are they off to the side because there's no room for them? Have you kind of said, I'll get back to those. This is just more important right now. Come on, where is God on the weight of your life? Where is your spouse? Where are your kids? Where's your health? Where's your career? Where's your friendships? Where's those priorities and principles of your life? Here's three reasons I think we live unbalanced lives. Number one, we have too many choices today. It used to be when you went out to eat, you had like three choices. Now you've got like 300 choices. And as a result of that, it can be unbalancing in our lives because we have now so many options to have. And again, these things aren't bad. But I'm telling you, look at the happiness and the wealth and the prosperity of this nation versus people who have no choices and see who's the happiest ones and living the most fulfilled lives. It's unbalanced in our lives. The second reason our lives are unbalanced is because of this, the social pressures. We want to be like everyone else. We've got to keep up. So we try to do and be because we don't want to offend people and hurt people or rock the boat and look crazy and be ostracized. So we've got all those social pressures to try and do what everyone else is doing, five sports. Everyone else is doing the gym every night. Everyone else is doing. So we allow those social pressures to get us out of balance. And out of whack. The last one is the financial lie. The financial lie goes something like this. Are you ready? Here it is. You have it all and you can do it all. That's the financial lie. You can have it all. You can do it all. So what do we do? We charge it. Cha-ching. We charge it. And then what do we end up doing? We end up paying for it for the rest of our lives. Used to be that if people couldn't afford it, they would have to wait till they had the money to buy it. But now we think, oh, I can afford it and I'll just charge that. And then you end up paying a hundred times more. Something that's maybe 20 bucks, you end up paying $2,000 for. Oh, no, that never happened because I'm going to pay it at the end of the month. And then something else happens and then I'm going to pay it. And then by the third, fourth month, it's too big and you can't pay that. And you're now paying all that interest on top of it. So how can I balance my life? Because that's a lot of reason for stress in my life. 
That's a lot of reason of what's going on in my life is this. CJ, can you grab that ladder and just bring that over here for me? I want, I want to show you something. There's a reason the ladder's there. We, we weren't doing like maintenance and forgot to bring it in here. I want to show you something right now. A lot of people, now CJ knows he works in the plant, so he's got a pretty good understanding. So he's got a good way. Look at that. He can grab something like that and he can find the balance point and he can lift it. All right, you can go and sit down right now. I've got it. Thank you. If I was to ask someone who didn't really know how to manhandle a ladder, they would struggle so much with this. But you know, there's something about a ladder is this, okay? Hold on. You can find the balance point. And I know without hitting you on the head. I could preach the rest of this message holding this ladder. And not be stressed out. Why? Because the balance is almost holding the weight all by itself. I've grabbed a ladder like this before and people say, oh, let me help you with that. It's heavy. No, because you try and grab the end of that. Try and grab the end of that, Rob, and help me. What happens then is now, now I'm all off balanced. And now, can I tell you right now, this thing is cutting into my shoulder. Thanks, Rob. Let go of that. All right, there you go. Why? Because you can find that sweet spot in your life. Many of us are juggling things that are big and heavy. But I'm telling you right now, the key, we've got to find the balance. Because the word of God says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. God doesn't want us to struggle through life. God doesn't want us to struggle through the things of life. So can I help you today? Can I help you? How how can we have a balanced life? Let me give you some helps now. You ready? Can we just agree that one handful is better? You may say, what do you mean by that? Are you gone crazy? Did that ladder hit you on the head? What do you mean one handful is better? Look at the scripture from Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. I love what the King James Version says. Come on. We're getting holy today when we're quoting from the King James. Listen to what it says. It's better to have one handful than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Wow, that paints a good picture right there. Better to have one hand with tranquility and peace than two hands full, but yet what? There's vexation. There's a travailing in my spirit. You see, here's what we've got to. If we're going to balance our lives, we've got to realize this. It's better have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. Because that's where we find stress relief. Stress comes because we have so much stuff that doesn't matter and then we don't have room for the things that does matter. Less is more. Can I tell you right now? Less is more. The world wants to tell you more is more. Because we can look and say, well, if I've got one dollar bill and I've got two, I'm better off with two. Maybe you are in that situation. But then we take that thought to other things. Well, if I've got one car, I'm better off with two cars. That's two notes. That's two insurances. That's two gas bills you've got to pay. Now, all of a sudden, there's travailing and there's vexation. Come on, we can look at all these kind of things and say, okay, one job is good. But if I get a second job. Same with kids. One kid is good. 
Six kids is real good. <laughs> Look at this. More is not always better when the pursuit of more consumes your entire life. Are you with me today? Here's the second way we can balance our life. You've got to find your God-given design. It's amazing. Today we're going to help you with this. 11 o'clock after this service, we've got Growth Track. And you know what Growth Track is? It's our four-week course that can help you to discover the purpose that God has for your life and find a place to serve. You know, today we have Growth Track, and today is week three of Growth Track. And you know what that is? Discovering your purpose. Wow. You can go today. We're going to help you to find the purpose that God has given, not because we're God, but we're just going to ask the questions and we're going to make you realize that you do have a value and you do have a worth for your life. You see, we've got to find our own design. We've got to find what God created us to be. We know what everyone else wants us to be by the pressures and the demands. But we've got to find that meanie tackle. You see, here's the question. You ready? Who's in control in your life? Come on, who is in control of your life? Or what's in control of your life? And I'm telling you right now, it's a whole lot better to be driven by design than default. Yeah. And a lot of us are defaulting into what we think our life is instead of in the design, the balance of what God has. If we don't prioritize our lives, someone else will. Psalms 136.16 To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. You may say, well, what's that got to do with this? Everything. Why? Because I love the thought here. His promise may not always take me through what I want to go through. I don't want to go through the wildernesses in life. But I want to thank God that it's a through walk and we are getting somewhere in our walk with God. You see, we want to make the decisions and choices for our life to avoid all the heartaches and pain. But God's faithfulness says, I'll lead you through the darkest times if you will just trust me with your life. Who's in control of your life? Because when man is in control of your life, you're like on a hamster wheel. Have you ever seen a hamster on a wheel? Come on, just spin, 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 spin. We used to have a hamster. Uh, I couldn't have him anywhere near me, man, because I would hear him in the middle of the night. A wheel going around. And that's what a lot of us are doing. We are tired and getting nowhere because we're out of balance. Look at this statement. If you're burning the candle at both ends, maybe you're not as bright as you think. Well, look at me. I'm so bright. Yeah. Not bright. Not bright. My grandmother used to tell us all that all the time. You can't burn the candle at both ends. You can't stay up late and then expect to be alert in the morning. You can't burn the candle. You think you're bright and you've got control of it. Man, almost done. Not really. Number three. You've got to run your race. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. I've got to run my race. I can't run your race. I can't run at your pace of race. I've got to run my race. When I was training for a half marathon, Lonnie said, I'm going to come with you stride by stride. He said, you set the pace and I'll keep with you. And I did for that 13.1 miles 
was or whatever. We set the pace and we didn't go off that pace. When I started to slow, Lonnie said, pick it up. When he stopped, well, he never slowed down. But anyway, we just kept going. You've got to get at that pace, but you've got to find that sweet spot for your life. The problem with us is we're out of balance because we're running at someone else's pace. We're running someone else's race in the way that we think it should run. So how can I help you? How can I help you with this? Can I give you four helps? I know this is a lot of information. That's why you need to be paying attention to our notes on version. Let me give you four helps of keeping your life in balance and running the right race. Having one handful. Finding your God-given design. Take regular inventory. Psalms 36, 4 and 9. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as a hand's breath, and my age is nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but a vapor. After that verse, you know what it says? Selah. You know what selah means? It means stop and pause for a moment. It doesn't want us to go to the next verse right now because it wants us to think and meditate about what's been said. What's been said here is this. We don't have all the time we think. We don't have all the energies we think. Our life is just a breath. So what are we doing with the measure of our day? Take regular inventory. Here's some things that you need to make inventory in your life. And I think this is something good that you could do on a weekly, monthly basis. Look at yourself and say, how's my faith? Come on, look at yourself and say, how's my marriage? How's my family? How's my work and job? How's that computer? How's that ministry? How's that social? How's that attitude? How's my finances? How's my creativity? How am I physically? Ask yourself and take inventory of those things. And what I mean by what's my computer, I'm talking about like social media and stuff. How much is that consuming my life? So I'm telling you, if you don't take inventory of your life, Your life will take inventory of you. Help number two, make tough decisions. And the key here is elimination. Don't try and do what everyone else is doing. Philippians 4.13, we can quote it till we're blue in the face. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, you can do all things, but God has not called you to do all things. He's called you to do the things that he has called you to do. So you've got to realize that. You've got to make the tough decisions. Quit saying yes to those who will offer you something that will take you in the wrong direction. Set boundaries for your life. In friendships, in relationships, set the boundaries. You take control. Why? Because if you don't make the tough decisions, you're going to end up with the tough answers. I love this statement. Look at this. If it isn't a clear yes, then make it a clear no. Wow, we're giving you some truths today you need to grab a hold of. Come on, if it's not a clear yes, bam. It's not a, oh, let me think. It's a clear no. Help number three, focus on things that last. They tell us this is the highest level of living that we can be if we focus on things that will last. How do we do that? Ask ourselves the question, Don, a hundred years from now, will this matter? We can give all our life to a young relationship. We can give all our life to a career. We can give all our life to these things. But a hundred years from now, is that going to be spoken of? Is that even going to matter? Back to the rich young ruler. Remember the one who was sitting back in his big barn saying, I've got all the time in the world. Look what happened. Luke 12, 20, 21. But God said to him, fool. 
This night your soul will be required of you. Then those things which then, whose will those things be which you have prepared? In other words, you can't take that with you to heaven. So all that work and everything you've done here on this earth, someone else is going to have that. So is he who lays up treasures for himself, come on, and is not rich towards God. Are you rich towards God? Number four, stay close to God. We've got to know that gentle whisper. That gentle whisper is only possible through spending time with him. One last word, and this one's not long, I promise. Meaning, numbered, tackle, unballast. And now it's Perez or Parsons. Daniel 5.28, he says, Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Meds and Persians. Divided, divided. We've got to watch today that we don't allow our hearts to become divided and distracted. Jesus said these words, let not your heart be troubled. I think that word troubled there could be so many different things. But I think one of the things it could mean is don't let your heart cause trouble for your life. And what causes the trouble of our life? When our hearts are divided and we're separated and we're indifferent from God. We've got to pay attention to the warning signs that we see all around us. Because when our relationship, our heart with God is divided, when we're not where we need to be with God, there's going to be warning signs all around us. And Satan's answer in all of that is just be busier, just distract yourself, just, just go in more and give more. But you've got to heed the warning signs. Can I give you four warning signs that maybe you're close to the danger zone? Number one, and that is this. Sins become more attractive than they usually are. Those things and temptations that you don't struggle with when everything's going good, but all of a sudden you get weak and you get wore down and you're fatigued and your spirit's not where you need to be. All of a sudden, those things are a little bit more accessible on the internet than what they used to be. That, that, that person that you haven't called for a while, all of a sudden they start texting you and, uh, and now there's that draw... Come on, you know I'm preaching to you today. Those sin things become a little bit more attractive. Here's another warning signs. That what? Inconsistent emotions. We know our emotions can run up and down. We know our feelings can change. But when you're living in that danger zone, guess what? The moments of emotional inconsistency become a lifestyle. Now you're like, man, people like stay away from me because they're like, man, that person is crazy. Their emotions are out. What's going on? I mean, come on. Third thing, you become less productive. Spinning, doing more, but yet producing less. If you can do more, you can't maybe get out of bed because you're just so wore out and you give out. Because your heart's divided. Trying to be everything else for everyone else instead of being what God wants you to be. Here's the last one. It's the most dangerous. When you get to a place you can't hear God. I've never really known someone who's in a great relationship to turn around and say, they don't talk to me. They don't love me. I feel used and unvalued. I've never heard that in a great relationship. But in a bad relationship, I hear those things. 
And so many times we look and we say, well, God, why are you not speaking? Why can I not hear you? What's up, God? What's up is not God. What's up is you. Because you're allowing the noise of this world to drown out his voice. So many people come and they ask me questions like this. Why can't I hear God? Here's the question that needs to really be asked. What's my prayer life like? I mean, really, I'm not talking about just praying before you eat. For that, some of you, that's the only prayer life that you may have, if you even pray before you eat. What's your prayer life like? What's your time with God like? Do you have a time with God? Because I'm telling you right now, if you don't have those moments, those times with God, you're not going to hear His voice. Here's the problem. Look, it's not that God has ever stopped speaking. The problem is that we've stopped listening. We've stopped listening. Psalms 46 verse 10, last scripture, band can come back. Be still and know that I am God. You're never going to really know God until you know stillness. And stillness doesn't always mean quietness, like you've got to shut everything off. But stillness means you've got to stop long enough for God to be able to speak to your life. Today, the writing's on the wall. Meany, meany, tackle a parsons. Your days are numbered. Your life's unbalanced. Your heart is divided. Would you bow your heads all over this place?